Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 13, 1 through 13. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to the local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me, as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. I bet some of y'all felt weird saying thanks be to God after the last scripture. <laughs> Wait, what? What's going to happen? <laughs> Thank you? You know? <laughs> Oh, man. So I'm, I'm glad to be with y'all today. I always just want to make sure I give, give props where props are due. Uh, I just want to make sure you guys know how much I love and care, and I want to honor uh, the elders of our church, John, Damon, and Tom. Um, yeah, that's cool. Uh, and um, the Prisca team. The Prisca team, these are the, 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 the woman leaders of our church. They provide care uh, for the women of our church, and they give counsel and advice to the elders. And then we have so many ministry teams, leaders. I feel like when I get up and, and stand, you know, there's a sense in which all eyes are on me, but I want to be able to, to deflect that and say, there's a lot of people serving and leading so that this church can thrive and function. So I'm just very thankful uh, for them. Now, with that being said, we're in Mark 13. It's our practice to go through books of the Bible verse by verse. And so we find ourselves in Mark 13. This is traditionally called... Uh, the Olivet Discourse, or the translation is the Talk on the Mountain of Olives, all right? And it has some prophecy about the end times. So really, Mark 13 is one big passage that, that could, should be read together, but if I went verse by verse through that whole chapter, we'd be here for a long time. And so I, I split it in two so that we can get it in manageable chunks, but it's all about and pointing towards the end times. Some people call that eschatology, but it's when will the end happen? And, and what I found is, is in, when I've talked to people uh, in the church that this topic produces a lot of anxiety. Whenever we're thinking about the end times, or, or it could be translated another way, like what, book of, uh, what chapter of Revelations are we in today, that people get kind of anxious. And this is going to, to age me a little bit, but I remember uh, Y2K. Who remembers Y2K? All right, so for y'all of y'all who, who are young, all right, in 1999, they're like, listen, it's about to be 2000. We don't know what's going to happen. The world is going to end. Now, okay, I'm nine, all right? 
So I'm nine years old, and I'm, I'm, we're going to the grocery store, and you see you know, those tabloids that are right there, and everything's like, the world's going to end. I'm like, oh my. Every day, we're going to the world's going to end. I'm like, in my nine-year-old mind, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I, I mean, y'all, y'all, right before midnight, like, I'm just sitting on my couch, just like, I don't, I don't know what's about to go down, you know, and now it came and went. But it just lets you know that when we think about the end times or the world ending or, or Christ coming back, it produces a lot of anxiety. And, and even, if, even if you're like, I don't care about none of that, I don't care about the end times, you still worry about the future nonetheless. So when we look forward into things that we don't know and can't tell the details, when we look forward and try to think what is going to happen to the world, what is going to happen in my life, it kind of brings some anxiety up about the future. And so as we think and ponder about the future <clears throat> and what the Lord will bring to pass, what should we be doing in the meantime? That's what I think Jesus is addressing in the first part of Mark 13, because the disciples are like, yo, when is it going to happen? And if you notice in the scripture that we read, he did not answer the question. <laughs> he didn't even answer the question. And so he's like, before I even get to what's going to happen, let me tell you what you ought to be doing in the meantime. The Lord wants us to preach the gospel and faithfully endure hardship as we wait for the future to come to pass. In other words, as we wait for the future and for the Lord's plans to be accomplished, the Lord wants us to keep the main thing the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. So let's pray. Let's ask God for his help. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you for your word. We pray that today you would speak to us through your word. Lord, you would open up our minds and our hearts that we might understand it, and not only that we might understand it, but that we can obey what you have commanded us in your word. Please give us that grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we get to the first couple of verses. If you want to follow along, please, there's a Bible in front of you. It might be on the screen as well. So the first couple of verses we got as he, that's Jesus, as Jesus was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you think these buildings are great? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. That's, he's a good conversation starter, ain't he? <laughs> you like that building? <laughs> so the temple was extremely beautiful. Uh, at, at the time, it was, it was one of the wonders of the world. And so it's not strange that they were looking at this beautiful, ornate building going, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. I mean, and, and we have beautiful buildings today that stand as monuments to power or money or other ideologies. It's really interesting, you know, I, I was able to go uh, visit uh, one of our, our missionary partners in, in uh, Asia, and I was in a country, and it was like, they're always having competitions on who has the tallest building. So somebody will build a building, and then another country will be like, I got you. You know, it's like they're, they're like having these competitions. And, and, and so there's all these things, these monuments that are built to impress, that are built to, to make you go, oh my goodness, look how powerful or how cool or how special this thing is. But what's interesting, and if you were following along in Mark, Jesus had already communicated that he was going to judge the temple. He already communicated that clearly to the disciples. So it's really strange that they were marveling at something that Jesus already said that he was going to judge. Meaning, we don't need to be impressed with what God has decided to judge. If you remember, he flipped tables in the temple and he told parables about the coming judgment. And the reality is, though the temple looked beautiful, it was not honoring God. 
It made a claim about honoring God, but it rejected God's son. It rejected God's Messiah. Not only that, they were, they were um, uh, manipulating people and abusing the poor. It was not pleasing to God, but on the outside it painted a picture as if it was. There's so many things in this world that we can look at that might seem oppressive to our eye. Like, oh man, that looks so cool. How great, how grand. And this is not just something that people do outside the church. We assume that in the church as well, that we always assume that bigger is better. Or that the one who speaks the loudest is most correct. But beloved, this is not the way of the Lord. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Valuing what is impressive on the outside makes us despise what the Lord actually honors. What do I mean? We talked about how last week that the Lord honors small, unseen, repetitive acts of faithfulness. Things that's not going to make people look at you and go, oh my goodness, look how great. If, if we have set our mind to always think that bigger is better, louder is more impressive, the, the more ornate, the more true, we have set ourselves up for failure in our individual lives because we have decided to value what the Lord does not value. But the Lord values every day small faithfulness. So don't be a Lord by all these things that try to capture your intention and try to impress you because in reality, many of these things that we look at that are impressive do not impress the Lord at all. And not only that, God will judge what is often impressive to the world. He said, you like that temple? You, you, think, you think it's cool? You think it's all nice? Not one stone is going to be left. I'm going to judge it. We need to be careful that we should not be impressed by what the Lord is going to judge. And so, like anybody who would hear this question, Jesus like, just jukes them, like, hey, that's a pretty building. Actually, I'm going to destroy it. They're like, so when? <laughs> When's that going to go down, Jesus? I know he was destroying buildings today. You know, we often wonder what the future holds. In verse 3 and 4, it says, while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So the disciples wanted to know exactly when and how God would do what he promises. And what's interesting, it didn't, it didn't just all the disciples, it's like his inner four, the ones who were like his boys. All right, those are the ones that he was close to. And they just assumed that because that he, they were close to the Lord that Jesus owed them an explanation. And sometimes our access to the Lord makes us presume that Christ owes us explanations. I'm close to you. Do you better tell me? He don't got to tell you nothing. He doesn't owe you an explanation. He calls you near, but he is also the Lord of the universe. So there's some things that you don't need to know, some things that you can't handle, and you cannot presume upon his nearness that he has to tell you every little thing that's going to happen. We often want to know, you know, what will happen down in the future. But I've heard it said one time when, when the psalm says that the word of God is like a lamp unto our feet. A lamp does, is not something, it's not like a flashlight that, that throws light down. A lamp is where you can see right here. 
It means that you can, you can take the next step and you're not going to trip because you can see where your feet are going. See, the Word of God is like a lamp to our, our feet. It guides us in the immediate steps. But the reality is we would rather have a fortune cookie. I want that fortune. Tell me what's going to happen. Now, here's the interesting thing about a fortune cookie. It'll say a lot of nice things, but it never makes demands of you. It just, oh, I know it now. It makes no demands. We want to know the distant future, but knowing the distant future does not prepare you for what you need to do right now. And so Jesus does not immediately, directly answer their question. Listen, we, we some 2,000 years behind us, so we can look at history. We actually know when it's happened. He, he, they, he could have said, Jesus, when this will, will happen, he, go, he could have said, well, the Romans will destroy the temple in 70 AD. Wouldn't that have been a lot? That would be a short chapter, wouldn't it? Like, thank you. You answered my question. That's not what he said. He uses their question as an opportunity to teach them what they ought to be doing. In other words, we need to be more concerned with our faithfulness than what is happening around us and what is going to happen in the future. In other words, our spiritual formation, our means of grace, the things that we do to train in godliness, that that is more important than knowing the details of what is to come. And all the studies and all of the, the thoughts and the charts about the end times, all it does is it makes you excuse yourself for not knowing what you need to do today. Without current spiritual training, we won't be ready for what's going to come up. We spend all our time trying to guess and estimate and, and, and what's going to happen. You're not going to be ready for when, when something happens. But if we dedicate ourselves to the simple, repetitive, unimpressive, unseen disciplines that the Lord does to change us, well, then we'll be ready then. We'll be ready. You know, yesterday, uh, we were, some of us were out there sharing the gospel, uh, and I had this, uh, this, is, this is crazy, this is a crazy story. So uh, last summer, so it's a long time ago, and during VBS, I shared about how to share the gospel, and I gave this bracelet to the kids. There's a, a little bracelet right here, and it has a heart, it has a division sign, a cross, and a question mark, and it's just a really easy way to remember the gospel. God loves you, sin separates you, Jesus died for you, what are you going to do about it? And um, I was sitting there with my niece, and I said, hey, do you know how to share the gospel? She said, yeah. She said, I look at that bracelet all the time. I was like, where? Okay. Somebody walks up, and I say, all right, it's you. Go time. She succinctly shared the gospel with this grown man. Why? Because she had been studying and looking at something that nobody had saw. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud. But if we dedicate ourselves to those simple, repetitive, unseen acts, when stuff happens, we're like, oh, I know what to do. But if we spend all our time wondering what's going to happen and not doing those things, we won't even be ready when the time comes. And so then Jesus, he starts going down, he starts talking about different things that might distract you from keeping the main thing the main thing. In verses 5 through 8, he says, don't allow false teaching and, tra- and tragedy to distract you from the main thing. <sighs> Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. 
These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. All right, so let's break down what he said. The first thing he says, yo, you need to beware of false teaching. There are a lot of false teachers about crisis. I can't keep count about how many different types of ways that people can teach Christ weirdly. And we can spend a lot of time exploring all those false teachings, and that's some people's job, and they need to do it. But we, we can spend a lot of time wondering what people are saying wrong, or we could spend our time by continually, continually looking at the truth. Here's what I mean. If, I look, if I'm looking at the gospel, if I'm rehearsing the gospel, if I'm rehearsing the truth of the gospel, I'm going to know when something sounds a little funky. Okay? We could spend, we could, I'm telling you, we could spend all day talking about how people say weird stuff about the Bible. There's a lot of weird stuff people say. Or we could commit ourselves to knowing the truth and rehearsing the truth and sharing the truth. A lot of y'all don't know, but before I was a pastor, I worked at a bank. And at the bank, you, you, you count a lot of money. You look at the, the bills. You get to know how familiar you are with them. What's, what's crazy is you, you even become familiar with how it feels, like how a bill feels. And so what's interesting, when, when you're trying to discern counterfeits, you don't even have to look at it. You're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. That's different. That don't feel right. Now, here's the craziest thing. They never teach you a class on how to, to look at and discern counterfeits. To just say, you need to be familiar with what's real. And as you are familiar with what's real, then you'll be able to easily discern counterfeits. Beloved, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. We must keep the biblical gospel central. God is doing, I want you to know this, God is doing a really cool work in, in some of the young people of our church. So, so we had, uh, on Wednesday, we had James, who's Laurel's son, brought his friend. He brought his friend, he said, listen, my friend needs to hear the gospel. And so I looked at Tyler, who's not here. He's the guy. You ever heard somebody sneezing? That's Tyler. All right. You know who I'm talking about, too. <laughs> so I said, yo, Tyler, come here. Share the gospel with him. Now, I don't know if I did. Would that make you nervous if I did that to you? He had zero preparation. Zero preparation. But here's one thing that we do. On Wednesday nights, the first thing that we go over every single Wednesday is the same thing that Sage shared yesterday. That concise and clear explanation of the gospel. And so I said, share the gospel. He said, okay. And he draws it on a board and he just goes through. God loves you. Our sin separated us. Christ died for you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to follow him? And what the other thing that was so interesting too is when he, when he started talking about Christ, he said, he said, Jesus Christ his only son, our Lord. I'm like, that man, but he don't even know he memorized the Apostles' Creed, but it just came out. It just came, because we say that every week. Listen, you're like, why do we do this redundant stuff? So that when you are put on the spot, you're ready. We got to keep the main thing the main thing. And also, we don't need to be afraid when tragedy strikes the world. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times, when, when the world is going crazy, when the news is going crazy, when somebody's saying something or doing something stupid on a mass scale, everybody's like, is it, is it now? Uh, yeah. he, he just said it's not. He, just, he said, listen, there's going to be wars, nations are going to be fighting, uh, there's going to be famines and earthquakes. This is not the end. <laughs> he just said that, which is so funny because every time stuff starts popping off, they're like, oh, Jesus is about to come back. He just, he just said that. Just stop. You know, 
Tragedies are not horoscopes. They're not means that we can look and all. I mean, ooh, that, the horse is coming. And they, like, look, that's, they're not horoscopes. Listen, we should grieve and provide help as we can. But when tragedies happen or when, when the nations are confused or when people are saying or doing crazy, shady stuff that does not need to send us down the path of prediction. Because let me tell you what that does. It makes us forget the main thing. Jesus says, look, a lot of stuff is about to happen, all right? People are going to be crazy, this, that, and other. But what you need to do, what I'm calling you to do, is you keep this gospel the main thing. He goes on in verses 9 through 11, he says, our, our, our focus must be to testify to the gospel in the middle of hardship. Verse 9, it says, but you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts. You will be flogged, beaten in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel will be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time. For it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So Christ assumes that persecution will come because of our witness of him. Which is kind of strange because, I mean... Jesus did say like a lot of nice and good stuff. If you ever just sit down and think, well, why are everybody mad at him? Why are y'all mad about us sharing this? The reality is people don't like Christ because he exposes evil. People would, would rather just, don't, don't look, it's not here. Christ exposes evil. Not only does he expose evil, he demands full and complete allegiance. If we preach this biblical gospel, evil is going to be exposed. And we're going to say, hey, you can't have divided allegiances, all of it needs to belong to Christ. And if we call out sin and tell people to obey Jesus, somebody's going to get mad. But the main thing is getting the gospel to the nations. He says, listen, they're going to persecute you, they're going to bring you in front of this, that, and they're going to judge you, whatever. But he says, he says, what must happen, what's going to happen, is that this gospel is going to be preached in every single nation. Meaning this, that, that frustrations with broken relationships because of the gospel or hardships because of the gospel should not prevent us from witnessing to, to, for, for the Lord. That cannot prevent us from telling people about Christ. Because he already told us it will happen. It's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. Some relationships are going to get strained. Listen, that might happen. But what must happen is that this gospel got to go everywhere. And, I, and, I, and this is so foreign to us, but, but I was even looking at the prayer point for today, from, for our Voice of the Martyrs app. The prayer point of today was praying for people in Pakistan. It says, pray for the protection and encouragement of Christian converts from Islam who are often rejected by their families. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but I want you to understand this. What, what those people did is they just signed a death sentence for themselves. That's what they did. I'm going to follow Jesus knowing full well that this could cost me my life. Not only that, somebody was bold enough to go up in there and share the gospel with them, regardless of the anger that they would be faced with and the hardship that they would have to go to. Somebody kept the main thing the main thing. There's a lot of things that they could have been doing. 
and would have been in our eyes completely justified. Be quiet, keep it low, don't rock the boat. They said, no, the main thing is that this gospel must be preached in all nations. So no matter if they're mad at me or if they put a sentence on my head, I'm going to be about this gospel. They kept the main thing the main thing. And there's also a promise in here, y'all. He says, the gospel must be preached, but don't worry. The Holy Spirit will be with you. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us power to witness for Christ. God is so committed to this gospel getting out that he will give us divine, supernatural strength. Witnessing and sharing about Jesus is not always easy. But, beloved, it will give us access to the Holy Spirit's power. You know, what what should be an oxymoron is a bored Christian. But I think some of us are bored because we don't do nothing. Listen, being on mission with Jesus is not always fun. It's not always happy, but it ain't boring. (laughs) If your Christian life is boring to you, you need to ask yourself, are you witnessing because it'll get, it'll get real, real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it won't, what's going to happen today? I said that thing. What are they going to say? Listen, listen. Not only is your, is your, would your Christian life be boring, but you would, are blocking yourself from the Spirit's power. The Spirit promises to empower you, not when you sit real spiritual in a corner, but when you go witness for the gospel. That's when the Spirit is going to empower you. And beloved, there is an otherworldly boldness that comes in these situations. Listen, listen, I ain't been in no situation like, like our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, but I have been in some situations that's been a little bit dangerous for the Lord. And I look back on it, I'm like, Will, you was, you was being all kinds of dumb that day because you ain't even care. That was the Lord. When you would step out for the Lord and enter into situations that might be complex or dangerous or hard, you will find the Spirit's power waiting for you there. This at least presumes some ongoing familiarity with the Holy Spirit through the means of grace, through prayer and scripture. And then it gets really real. We learn that we have to endure to the end. In verse 12 and 13, he says, Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we, just, we, just, we talked about that prayer point from our app today. That, that's, that's literally what's happening in Pakistan. If they confess Christ, it's not some stranger that's going to out them. It's their mom, their sister, their neighbor. But that's not really what we face. But sometimes the biggest challenge is will be the relationships nearest to you. It's a lot easier to call a stranger to repent than to call your brother to repent. I, I had a conversation with a brother the other day, and, they were, and he's like, I'm so bold in XYZ situations, but with my own family, I feel timid. And here's the deal. If a neighbor, if, if a stranger rejects you, that's no sweat off your back. Okay, I ain't really know them no way. <laughs> but if your child... Your parent, your brother rejects you because of Christ. You feel that deeply, and it's painful. So yeah, the stakes are high, and Jesus expects you to, he's expecting you to say something to your people, or else they wouldn't hate you. 
The stakes are high, but Jesus is worth it. His gospel is worth it. Even to, 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 to have strained relationships with those near to me because I speak truth about Christ. Let me be clear. This is my permission for you to go be a jerk and be mean to people. You speak with grace, okay? But you can say, you can say hard things in a nice way and people still get mad at you. You hear me? So, we share the gospel with those close to us, knowing that there could be relational costs, but knowing that Christ is worth it. Not only that, we, we just have it in, in our minds that we are going to endure to the end. We have to endure to the end. That's what he said. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, here's what endurance is not. Endurance is not perfect obedience. Because if it's perfect obedience, we ain't going to make it, right? That's not what he's talking about. Be perfect. Oh, well, okay, I'm going to hell now, you know. Like, <laughs> but endurance is a heartfelt, consistent faith and a persistent repentance that I'm coming back to the gospel over and over again. That when my faith is failing, I remind myself of the truths of Scripture, that I get around my brothers and sisters to remind myself of the truths of Scripture, and that when I fall or when I fail or when I mess up, I don't just stay there. I go, no, Christ has invited me to come back. A life of faith and repentance, that is a life of endurance. What's, cr- what's crazy about that is that, that, that our salvation is not about how perfectly we perform the obedience. It's about a oftentimes weak but consistent faith in the one who will save us. So in the ups and downs and the hardships, when somebody says something crazy to you, you go, well, that's, ah, that's confusing, that's hard, ah, that's very awkward, but Jesus loves me. He died for me. He rose again. I can trust in him. That's perseverance. That simple, uh, that simple calling out to him, seeking to rest upon him. Not a, oh, I'm going to tough it out. No, no. You be weak as all get out, but you point your weakness towards him. And he will allow you to endure. So not only do we have these clear words from Jesus that call us to endurance, but we have a gospel hope that fuels our endurance. Beloved, we talk about that Jesus died for our sins. He rose again, and he offers us forgiveness. Here's the craziest thing about this. Nobody can take that away from you. No, nobody's words, our actions, our persecutions, our threats, nobody can take away the fact that Jesus Christ died for you. No one can take away the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And no one can take away the fact that Jesus Christ offers you forgiveness. That's the fuel to, to endure. I don't care what's happening. I don't care who said what or what hardship I'll have to endure. Nobody is taking this gospel away from me. not only does that give us some endurance when stuff is going hard, it's like, you know what I'm saying? You can do a lot of stuff to me, but you, you can't take some stuff you just can't take away from me. You can't touch that. It's too hard for you. You can't mess with that. Not only that, but Jesus, his death and his resurrection ensures us of our future. I don't know your path, and I don't know my path, but I know where we ending up, y'all. I don't know what kind of twists and turns or what kind of speed bumps or roadblocks. I don't know all of that. But I know when it's all said and done, we're going to be with him. 
And so no matter if you're at a, at a mountaintop or if you're in a valley or if you're in fall, you can't see where you're going. Listen, there might be some hard times in this life, but I can guarantee you that with faith and repentance, you will end up with him. So, beloved, we got to keep that main thing the main thing. And one of the ways we keep the main thing the main thing is that we embrace a life of spiritual formation, meaning this. We do the things that Jesus told us to do that are often unseen and don't always give you butterflies. But you do those things over and over and over again. You know, if you ever watch an NFL game, they are, before they start the game, they're doing the exact same practices that like a middle school football team would do. <laughs> they're doing the exact same warm-up. It ain't changed. Like this, this, this amazing MVP, he out there running back and forth, doing this, this, that, and another. They do the same thing. And, and you might be like, well, man, look how when they threw the ball and, and he caught it, how, how did he do that? Well, he, well, he kept the main thing the main thing. You're not going to be able to excel in times of crisis if you don't keep doing the stuff. So, beloved, we rehearse the truths of the gospel. That's why we say things like the Apostles' Creed. Well, we give people tools to share the gospel. That same thing. I was talking with a brother the other day, and uh, he's, he's new to the faith. He's, he's getting ready to, to, to get baptized, and, and he's like, what do I need to do? And I was like, well, that's a loaded question. You know? <laughs> so, but, I, but my youth pastor, a long time ago, gave me this tool to know what I should do to walk with Jesus. And he called it the Disciples' Cross. And it has four points. You got the, the, the vertical beam and the horizontal beam. That, that bottom beam is, beam is you get in the Word of God in prayer. I mean, it's you get in the Word of God. You study God's Word. You read God's Word. That top uh, corner, that's prayer. That left corner, well, depending on where you're looking at, is church. <laughs> Go to church. The other corner is you witness. And I told him, you know what's funny? I'm drawing this for you, but I do, I've been doing the same thing <laughs> since I started. I didn't graduate from it. It's not like discipleship 2.0. I read the Bible 10 years ago, and guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to read the Bible. And I prayed seven years ago, and guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? Like the, and I went to church years and years ago, and guess what I'm going to do next week? This everyday, consistent thing, that's what the Lord uses to train us, to change us, and to prepare us for whatever may happen. So the Lord wants us to preach the gospel and faithfully endure hardship as we wait for the future to come to pass. Or in other words, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how powerful it is and how pertinent and applicable it is. And Lord, I pray that, that, that what we have understood, what you have called us to, that you would give us your divine grace, that we would obey you. Lord God, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. We want to be about your gospel. Because your gospel is not only something we tell, but it's something that we cherish. Something that gives us strength and encouragement. And something that no one can take away from us. So, to your name be the glory. Amen.